whatever you're doing in our industry, do it with a smile on your face and enjoy yourself and uh, work hard, but always maintain that sort of positive outlook. And yes, things are tough, but uh, you always think that there's going to be someone who's doing it tougher than you. So if you can help someone out with a smile on your face, then that's probably the best way to do it. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of elite agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner, Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To download your written action guide from this podcast containing extra tips, links and shortcuts, visit EliteAgentElevate.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. My guest today is Richardson and Wrench Managing Director, Andrew Cox. Since he joined the network in 2009, Andrew has drawn on extensive business and strategic experience to implement a complete overhaul of what is Australia's oldest real estate agency. So, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. It's great to have you back with us. I think that one of the last times you and I sat down together like this was at ARIC 2017. It was only four years ago, but it feels like it was 10. (laughs) A lifetime ago, yeah. Yeah, which was the year after you purchased Richardson and Wrench, and we're just a couple of days out from ARIC right now. Will we see you up on the Gold Coast this year? I'm not going to make it this year for a whole range of reasons, but I'm sure it's going to be a, a successful event and I'm sure people will get some really good takeaways from it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, like people go to ARIC for different reasons and we've certainly been going off and on for about 10 or 12 years. And this has been a really interesting 12 months that we've just had. What are some of the issues that you would hope that an event like ARIC would address for the industry uh, moving forward? Look, I think with anything like that, where you've got a, a fairly large event and it's, and it's going to be fairly broad in, in its scope, it's really important that it's going to be able to provide a whole range of, of outcomes for the, all the participants. Obviously, there needs to be some inspirational, aspirational type content, but I think more importantly, and certainly after the last 12 or 18 months, it's really important to have some really good quality takeaways and practical learnings that Every and even the average person who's going to be there, they can take away and utilise in the way they do what they do. And whether they're in property management, whether they're in sales support, whether they're sales agents, whether they're business owners, it's going to vary for, for all of them. I think they all need to have something to take away from the event. And it's really important to take those things away and then go and implement them, not just think about them. Yeah, I think you know, to have just you know the inspirational elements, they're all fantastic, but it's really hollow then if you walk away and in three months' time you can't think of one or two things that you, you've actually implemented into what you do from day to day um, as a result of that. Yeah. So you're no stranger to the elite agent audience, courtesy of the regular articles that you've written for us over the years. And and I always enjoy your articles because they cover some complex economic issues and you seem to get to the guts of things pretty simply. I particularly liked your breakdown of the federal budget this year, which you mentioned offered plenty to like for the property industry. So do you have a favourite initiative in that budget? And what do you see for real estate moving forward? Like how is the government going to help the industry moving forward? Look, I think as I said in the article, there are some fundamental structural supports that the government has provided. but And, and that's really going to just underpin confidence and the stability in the marketplaces. There's nothing specific that 
they've done that's going to affect and, and you know, particularly target the entire real estate industry. They haven't played around with any of the tax arrangements. They haven't played around with any of the, the capital gains arrangements, all those sorts of things. They've pretty well left alone. And keeping in mind, we've got an election coming up next year, we're told. I think the fundamental thing that they've done is to provide stability to the markets. And, and that is going to be the fundamental thing that's going to really assist the real estate industry and all those people who are looking to transact. Even today, there was a fairly um, lengthy discussion in some circles about you know, what is going to be the next thing that's going to happen. Are we going to see rises in interest rates or is it going to be some other levers that are going to be pushed? I think in reality, based on what the RBA has been saying, they're going to do what is best for the overall economy. And then if there needs to be any specific changes made to that are going to impact on real estate and particularly lending arrangements, that'll be left to others. And you know, particularly APRA, I think, is in the gun there for, for some potential earlier action than, than the RBA. You just mentioned an election next year, and I was just about to ask you about that because some people have thought maybe ScoMo would call it this year, but it's probably a bit late for that now, isn't it? Well, I think, uh, there was, as I said, there was some news according to reliable sources from within the party room that he announced overnight that it was going to be next year. I'll just take them on their word. Yeah. And what do you think about the market at the moment? A little bit of steam seems to have come out just recently, but it has been quite crazy in the beginning of the year with, I'm not going to say really, really low volumes, but it seems properties are flying off the shelf in quicker time than usual. Yep. And that's put some upward pressure on prices, particularly in some of the major metro areas. Do you see that continuing? Look, that's a really interesting question. And to be truthful, it's hard to know. But I think if you just look at some of the trends, we're already seeing that the the prices in a lot of major areas, both regional and also metropolitan, have been very strong over the last um, 12 months and nowhere is really immune from that. So we're seeing a lot of upward price pressure on all sectors of, uh, of property, particular houses. Um, units haven't been anywhere near as strong and there are a whole range of structural reasons for that. But we are also seeing a few factors. You know, I think a lot of people have been talking about the fact that the peak of the market has come and gone, and we're probably you know, four to eight weeks past the, the what is in reality the peak. Things like you know, the number of, of registrations at auctions. You know, one of the people that I talk to a lot has said that their average registrations at auctions has dropped by 25% over the last eight weeks. So that's a good indication of the volume of people and the, the people who are involved in, in the market. So we, we clearly there are less people involved in transactions. I can't say, and I think there will still be some upward movement in prices, but it's not going to go as rapidly as it has over the last sort of four to five months. A lot of people are also leaving. The, the, a lot of prospective purchases are leaving the market as well. So you're seeing that particularly at the lower end where they're just being priced out of what they can afford, that's starting to have an impact on just the size of the market. So as I said, I, I think things aren't going to crash. There's no reason for that to happen. I think with interest rates being so low and with them being flagged to be so low for such an extended period, that's going to really provide a lot of structural support for real estate across the country. Yeah. What about the rental side of things? Because there's been a fair bit of pain in the inner city, particularly not so much in the regions. The regions have got lines as long as going to a big football game or something like that in their opens. But what about rentals? Do you see those sorts of vacancy rates in the inner city continuing? or I think vacancy rates in areas where you don't have some lifestyle attributes that you can really, you know, will, will be a, a magnet for the market. I think any areas which are typically going to be along you know, the commuter lines or the, and the main commuter routes, they're going to probably suffer and still struggle for at least until the borders start to open again. If you look at what's happened in the last 18 months, I suppose, since all the restrictions in March last year, probably less than 18 months, 
but really since the restrictions came into force in March last year, there's been some amazing dynamics and amazing changes in all of the different markets. You've had areas that have gone from you know, zero uh, vacancy down to 40% vacancy back up again to zero vacancy and you know, all within the space of 12 or 18 months. So it's quite abnormal and quite unusual circumstances, which has really been driven by the dynamics within our population for all the people who are having to make rapid adjustments to their lifestyle and, and you know, then making decisions on where they're going to live. People are saying, well, <clears throat> if, if property... If rentals are cheap on the coast, uh, I'm going to take the chance. I'll never be able to afford to live on the beach again. So let's you know, take, make the most of the next two years and go and live on the beach. I think I've pretty much done that myself, so I can relate. The other thing that's going to happen is that there is going to be some adjustment. I mean, the big question that I really have no idea how it's going to evolve is how much of the move to regional areas is going to unwind once things start to go back to normal. I think it's great to have a tree change. I think it's great to have a sea change. but if you're out in regional areas, which is fantastic, but at some point you may start missing some of the, the attributes that the city can offer. So whilst I think a lot of the regional areas are going to have a permanent benefit from COVID, if there is a benefit from COVID, I think the regional areas are going to experience that. At what extent it then bounces back again, I'm really not sure, but I think there will be some rebound from that. And so they won't be quite as popular as they are at the moment. But as I said, I think regional Australia is actually going to really benefit to, in the longer term from some major population changes. Let's hope that's the case. So let's talk a little bit about you because I know one of your passions is to empower agents to start their own businesses. But interestingly, you didn't start out in business or in real estate at all. You started out in the army, which I remember talking to you about many years ago. Can you give us a bit of insight into your journey and how you got to Richardson and Wrench? Look, I'm actually a military civil engineer, so that's, that's what I did in my early days, and uh, I, I had a lot of fun doing that. I learned a lot about the, the processes and structures involved in both engineering and also the military. So I, I probably then was able to, to carry those over into my career after the military, which involved hospitality, tourism, development. So I, I moved into the development sector, property development, leasing, and you know, management of businesses. And I think all of those skills combined have really sort of brought me to where I am today. I, I spent a lot of time buying and, and then renovating businesses. And I suppose I learned a lot about the intimate details of what's involved and what makes a business tick really well. And what also what makes a business suffer. And I think one of the things that is clear to me, and it's certainly something that you see in real estate, is that the entire business environment is, is becoming far more complex. Uh, and I think it's it, you need to have a fairly broad array of skills to then try and um, deal with the complexity that's now commonplace in, in everyday business. Mm. And so when you first took on the role of executive director back in 2009, you were pretty quick to undertake a major brand overhaul and implementing digital technology. 2009 seems like it was a while ago now, but we had Facebook and all those sorts of things back then. What were some of the things that you did and what was the thinking behind it? I think, you know, it, it's really important what I did at the time was to look at where real estate was going and what was going to be important for successful real estate businesses moving forward. And the one thing that became clear is that if, you know, because as I said, businesses are becoming more complex, real estate businesses are no exception. And the vast majority of real estate businesses, either very much in the small sector, but also a lot of them are in the micro sector. So you're looking at every business has to deal with the same issues, but the less staff you have, the, the more that has to be spread across a smaller base of employees. So it's really important to then 
to the extent that we could, provide all of the necessary tools and, and attributes that a business needs to help them to be successful. Not every business can have all the skills they need in-house. So the more that we could provide those services organically as part of our, our offering was really important. And I think that was the major focus initially to make sure that we could provide the cutting edge tools and, and resources and processes and systems that, that a lot of people would have otherwise had to try and develop themselves. As you said, when, when you get down to a small number of people, it becomes harder and harder to do that. And then in 2016, you actually bought the brand, which must have been a huge decision. What prompted that? Oh, look, it wasn't a particularly huge decision. Once the opportunity was was made available to me, I, I jumped at it. Look, the previous owners, they underwent, uh, there was an unfortunate death of one of the, the founders of the business and, uh, and the owners of the business. And that triggered a, a review of what they were doing. And, and because I'd been intimately involved in the business for a while, they said I was the obvious first choice to, to take over from them. So that was, a, as I said, a, it wasn't a, a particularly difficult decision for me. It happened as, as quickly as it could at the time. But as I said, it was a, just a logical transition from what I've been doing into where I am today. Richardson Wrench is home to some pretty amazing agents, a few of them that have become well-known to us and have been on this podcast, actually. Jeff Grist was one of my favourite ones from r and in Mossman and very established author. And Jason Boone, obviously, and we've just uh, done a special on Louise Barton as well in, in North Sydney. Like you've got a lot of superstars in Richardson and Wrench. People talk a lot about how to manage underperformers. But do you have any tips on managing these superstar agents that are so amazing at what they do? Everyone's going to have their own pace and everyone's going to have their own ability to, to generate income. The best thing you can do is, is provide them all the support that they need, um, make sure that the process that they, they are trying to follow is made as simple for them as it possibly can be, and then just let them get on with it. The more that you try and intervene in a way a successful operator is going to be operating, the more chance you have of either clashing or, or, or really undermining their activity levels. So it's about providing the environment in which they can be successful. And, and that's that's the case regardless of whether they're at the very top or wherever they are throughout the, their career. I don't think the, the, the philosophy needs to change. It's really just about how much more you can do to really help people leverage up their, uh, their capability and their skill levels. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, the thing is in real estate, the sky really is the limit, isn't it? You can, yeah, that's you can... absolutely correct, yeah. I mean, yeah. look, there's there's not that many of us. So I think, from, and again, the stats are a bit fuzzy. You know, I think there's 65, 70,000 real estate agents across the country. There's, you know, uh, nine, 10 million dollar, uh, 10 million residences across the uh, the country. So you do the maths. There's plenty of stock there for everyone. It's really just a matter of how everyone's going to adjust to that. Yeah, actually, I'm, I was just trying to do the calculation in my head there, but you're absolutely correct. I think it's about 150 properties per agent. So if you, if you assume there's a 10% turnover, that, that should be enough to, on average, to, to make everyone happy. So There's a lot of people with their calculators out right now. <laughs> <laughs> so what's been happening at Richardson and Wrench in recent times? Like what's the most important thing you're working on right now? Uh, look, really, it's, it's, it's trying to work with not only existing network operators to help them to, to be successful. We're obviously spending a lot of time talking to people about the opportunities that exist within R&W, both with our you know, regular franchise and also the bespoke franchise that we offer. And, and that's really a pathway for people to become business owners rather than sales agents. And, and that's really important for me. It's something that I identified really at the time that I took over the business. That was going to be an important thing that the industry was going to have to deal with, that businesses either had to have scale and critical mass or they needed to be light on their feet and agile and, and then rely upon other service providers. As I said, a lot of our, our industry is made up of micro businesses and with one or two people and, and you can't be all things to all people. I mean, if you think about 
the average business person, it doesn't matter whether it's in real estate or in, in marketing or in, in commerce or whatever the field you're in, every business really needs nine fundamental skill sets you know, that to make it a very strong business. And any individual is only going to be strong at three of those. They're going to be average at three and they're going to be pretty poor at the other three. So if you're working by yourself, you then need to rely upon other people to other other resources to help you to fill the gaps of, of your knowledge. And that's one of the really important things for us that that we really focus on providing specialist skills, specialist service to our network, whether they're a long-standing franchise of 30 years or whether they're brand new. And I think that's that's really important for us to make sure that that skill delivery is and, and really skill extension of all of our offices is really important part of what we do. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. I've never heard it put that way before, the nine things. Can you tell us what the nine things are? Well, it really varies from industry to industry. But if you think about it, having knowledge about IT technology, having um, knowledge of compliance, having knowledge of HR, having knowledge of taxation and finance, business management, sales, marketing, and there's a few others as well. So, But it does vary from industry to industry. But as I said, any one person is not going to be great at all nine of those. They're only going to be, as I said, typically a business owner is going to be great at a few things because that's why they're in that business. But there are often going to be things that they're not strong at. Typically in real estate, I'd have to say that taxation, accounting and, and the finance side of things is, is not, you know, a lot of people ask me if I do trust accounting and, and yes, we do. But you know, that's an issue that a lot of people steer away from. The systems, process, HR type issues are, again, not typically a core strength of a lot of people in real estate. So it's really important that you have those sorts of skills that uh, that you can add to, to a network. And I think that's really important that we do that. Yeah, I was just ticking off my strengths and weaknesses then as you were talking. Like, I think I think that's true, really. My strengths are in marketing and creativity and technology, but definitely don't give me the books. Now, look, people will always gravitate towards their strengths, even if they're a business owner and they have responsibility towards all of those. You'll often find that people will then, as I said, you know, move towards what they feel most comfortable with. They'll, they'll stay away from the pain points and that will often lead to things being missed or, or, or issues evolving that, that could have otherwise been dealt with fairly easily. So. I think it's really important that all business owners have that ability to identify what they're weak at and then reach out um, to to find someone who can help them. That's actually the biggest issue is finding someone who they can trust, who they're going to be able to engage with on a a business level, because there are a lot of people who will say they can do everything for you. But the the real issue is who, who you're going to be able to trust to get involved in your business at a fairly intimate level so that they can they can become part of your team. So at what point as an agent do you think if, you know, like you're a successful agent, should you consider going out on your own? Well, that, again, is going to vary from from person to person. A lot of people are very happy being successful agents and that's all they ever want to do. They don't want to take on the responsibility of running their own business. And and again, it comes down to what your individual aspirations are. I, I think when you start feeling as though you can do this better than what what might might be able to do as an employee, that's probably the point we need to start thinking about that. A really great example of that is a a young guy who has just really joined R&W and he's making that transition. He he went through and he identified that he knew what he wanted to achieve. He he was able to come up with a really clear and coherent business plan. And as a result of that, it's been easy for him to transition. He's moved through the bespoke structure and is now transitioning into a traditional office. And it's been a really relatively painless process for him. It's allowed him to actually learn what it is to be a business owner over a longer period of time. And I think it's given him that sort of comfort that he needed to, to make that big plunge into, into moving away from being a sales agent into a business owner. It's, it's clearly not for everyone. And I wouldn't recommend that it is for everyone. 
But if you've got the mindset and if you sort of have the clear vision about where you want to go to, then it's something that you should certainly explore. So can you just explain that process between, I think you called it bespoke and then into a shop front or a, or a shop, yeah. Yeah, so basically what, what we can provide is is a pathway to help someone from you know, being an agent to being a business owner. And what we do is we provide all of the back-end support systems and really work with the, the franchisee to establish their business, build their activity and their momentum within their marketplace and then plan to transition into an office you know, over whatever time frame they want now, whether that's one year, three years, five years, it doesn't really matter. It's really about giving people the tools of what it is to be a business owner in a measured way, you know, so that you're not trying to do everything at once. You know, it, it, If you look at the process of starting up your own office with a traditional retail office and staff and all those sorts of things, there are so many things that you have to do when in reality, most of the things you've always done in the past is to list and sell real estate. And that, that when you talk to someone about what's involved, the time drain on what they've typically done, which is as I said, listing and selling real estate, means they're going to be losing potentially you know, 30 or 40 or 50% of their time to really just run the business. Now, when you equate that to dollar terms, that's a pretty frightening prospect for a lot of people wanting to make that transition. So by helping out and giving all giving people the back-end support and systems means they don't have to do 90% of that. They can gradually start to understand all those different elements over a longer period of time. And it just makes that process a little simpler. And as I said, it, it, it certainly addresses a lot of the risk factors that I see from people within the industry who would love to make that jump, but just don't have the profile to do it. I was going to say, it sounds to me like it's a little less scary than, than burning the boats, as Tony Robbins might say. It gives you like a bit of an interim step. Well, it's a scary process. Starting your own business isn't for everyone. And uh, and to, to make that decision, you've often got partners involved, you may have kids involved, you might have a massive mortgage, particularly at the moment. And all of those factors combined, when you start looking at all of the elements of what you have to potentially put at risk, as I said, it, it, the risk profile for a lot of people under a sort of normal business structure is often a step too far. So if, if we can help them to de-risk that process as much as possible, it gives them a, a much clearer pathway on how they can get there. So thinking back to your journey, which we've sort of gone through today, as in like how you got into real estate and then bought the franchise and, and things like that. And also now within R&W, you've seen a lot of agents take a great path into success. What are some of the lessons that you think you could pass on to some other people in the industry that you've learned from all of that? Like, what do you think your three biggest lessons Develop a team around you who you can trust implicitly. I think that's and and rely upon their skills. I think that's the fundamental thing that you, you should always look at within a business. And it doesn't matter whether it's real estate or any other business. Have people who will fill the skill gaps that you don't have um, that you can rely upon and that you can in, you can trust implicitly. I think that's really important. You know, someone who is an employed staff member or an external consultant. I think that's the biggest thing you can do is to is to develop that sort of structure around you and have have people that you can rely upon to do the work. Aligned with that, I think the other thing is to have a mentor, have someone who you can get trusted advice from, have someone that you can seek guidance from, and, and actually then feel comfortable that you're getting someone who is really going to tell you what you you need to know. Don't get someone who's going to tell you what you they think you want to hear. Get someone who's actually going to be the devil's advocate, someone who is going to really explore your ideas and, and test them a little bit. And I think there's nothing wrong with being tested, having what someone wants to do, you know, put it under the spotlight and see whether it really stacks up. Having someone who's willing to do that, I think is really important. And that can be anyone. It doesn't need to be someone from within real estate. It can be someone that you've, you've dealt with 
in other fields, one of your clients who, who you get on really well with, you can always go and talk to them. Most people will be comfortable and happy to act as a mentor if you put it in those sort of terms. And I think having that is really important. The final thing that I think is critical is, is don't compromise on who you are. You've always got to, everyone has got their own sort of natural style that they, they want to gravitate towards. And I think it's really important that you stay true to that because it's pretty obvious to see when someone's really faking it. And I think that flows through, particularly in an industry like ours. You need to be genuine. You need to be really have bought into whatever you're doing and, and, and just live and breathe it. But again, if you try and be too contrived in doing that, I think that that uh, is going to bring you unstuck. Yeah. What about Richardson and Wrench for the next 12 months? Like we've just come out of a very interesting sort of period, as we've just talked about. What are your goals for the next 12 months within the group? Um, look, for me, it, it's really about making sure that uh, we can help the existing network and the existing franchisees to to recover and, and then rebuild and, and move forward from where we are. A lot of them have actually done exceptionally well over the last 12 months. But clearly there are some challenges. And I think one thing that we've tried to do is to really make sure that you know, we can help them to navigate all of the changes. There are a lot of things going on in the industry, whether it's compliance issues, whether it's licensing changes that have been made and, and making sure that everyone is thinking about what that means for them and their business is really important. So we're spending a lot of time doing that, making sure that we've got all of the tools in place to, to really um, you know, allow people to, you know, to deal with all of those changes as simply as possible. Um, so that's a big thing for us, obviously, helping with getting the, uh, the, the engagement of all of our officers um, to where they would like it to be, whatever we can do to assist with that. Um, we're obviously helping, but recruitment and, uh, and, and expansion is sort of something that is, is big in my agenda at the moment. So that's something that because we've got a range of different options that we can talk to people in the industry about, that's something that is, is a big focus for us. And what's your view on PropTech at the moment? I mean, the industry is still not short of a shiny object or 10. Are there any particularly interesting products, services, technology that you're tracking at the moment? Look, obviously anything to do with AI is something that that is of interest. I've deliberately kept a, a folder in my inbox of all the different products that have, have come into my intray over the last 10 years or so. And I think of all of those, there's probably only 10% that are still currently operating. So and it's a big list. There's a number of them that uh, that send me emails offering me you know, shares if I promote their product into into you know, the network and all those sorts of things. I really have no interest. To, you know, I look at the business models behind all of these things and whether they're going to add value to our, you know to the industry. Anything that can be, and if you look at all the tools that we're now embracing across the industry, some of them are fantastic and they've really made a lot of improvement in the way that we do business compared to even 10 years ago. So there are always going to be improvements. Trying to pick a winner is really tough. And as I said, I think I really, and we certainly encourage um, all different platforms within our network. We don't try and, and discourage any of them. We don't have a particular closed platform. So we, we can embrace any technology solution to, to the R&W environment. But trying to pick a winner is really tough. But as I said, anything around productivity, improved communication with your market and your database, improve systemization within the office to make you more efficient. Anything to do with productivity is, is going to be key over the next five to 10 years. And if you can then, if there are some of the artificial intelligence tools that we're looking at, I think some of those are quite clever and they do certainly make the, the particularly the process of prospecting a lot more efficient than it, than it would otherwise be. Yeah. You just talked about productivity then. It's an actual passion of mine as well. What would be your top three productivity tips for agents? segment your day so that you always have you know clearly defined parts of your day so that you're not jumping from one thing to another and be really disciplined about that. I think it's really important to 
you know, have structure over you know, how you control your day because if you don't control it, no one else is going to do it for you. So, and having you know, clearly defined times for engaging with you know, your clients, engaging with your staff and engaging with those people who are important in running your business. Everyone's going to have a different balance for that. As I said, it's, it's, but it's really important to quarantine parts of your day so that you know, that's not, you're not always in crisis management. And certainly in the next couple of years, I think it's going to be really important, particularly for business operators to focus on cost control. Every business has to spend money to make money, but it's really important to really focus on what you have to do to add value to your business um, really focus on extraneous costs that you don't need to spend and then invest that money in something that's going to really help your your business productivity. I think that's, that's the best thing you could do at the moment. Like I've noticed myself, you really need to look at the bank statement every six months to look at your subscriptions because, you know, it sort of sometimes gets to be like shiny object on shiny object. I do have a saying that a lot of people confuse activity with progress and uh, and, and it is something that, you know, I think real estate in particular can be prone to by you know, getting out there and actually engaging in something or getting you know, a new shiny toy, as you said, um, it makes you feel good about yourself, but you really have to then assess whether it's actually giving you the outcome you want. And I think measurement of anything that you do is really important. If you don't measure, you, you're not going to be able to you know, successfully manage whatever the process is that you're, you're putting in place. Yeah, that is a really good tip to sort of reflect on what you're trying to optimise and making sure that you have actually met that goal. Yeah, I think it's it's critical. And a lot of times it's tough because it's hard to figure out what the measurement tools are. But if you think about it deeply enough, then you'll find something. And, and it doesn't have to be super complex. Start off with some simple measurement tools and some simple simple metrics that you can put in place to at least give yourself some goals and some benchmarks. And then assess yourself against those. And then as you, you know, start figuring out that you're actually achieving that, then refine and, and improve your, your metrics. And I think it's, it's that sort of evolution of, of systemization of your business and overall performance management that uh, that is really important as, as a business grows. Yeah, and then rinse and repeat. Correct. <laughs> like don't yeah. do it once and forget it, there's, yeah. There's, um, there's never an end point in, in business. So Absolutely. Well, Andrew, it's been great to catch up with you and thank you for being so generous with your knowledge. I've really enjoyed finding out a bit more about your journey through Richardson and Wrench and what you're up to at the moment and we've covered heaps of ground. But if there was one piece of advice or one final thought that you'd like to leave everyone with, what would it be? Oh, look, I think, you know, and, and certainly it's been apt over the last 12 months. It's it's a journey that we're on and it's got a finite end. So whatever you're doing in our industry, do it with a smile on your face and enjoy yourself and uh, work hard, but always maintain that sort of positive outlook. You know, yes, things are tough, but uh, you always think that there's going to be someone who's doing it tougher than you. So if you can help someone out with a smile on your face, then that's probably the best way to do it. That's great advice, Andrew Cox. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Elevate with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to download your written action guide from this podcast containing extra tips, links and shortcuts. Visit eliteagentelevate.com.